0: Welcome to another quarantine episode of Somewhere on the Spectrum Podcast. My name is John Robertson. Welcome to my podcast. Thanks for tuning in. There's like 800 million podcasts. So if you're here, I appreciate you very much. Today on the episode, we talked to Jared Powers, who's one of my best friends in the world. I was the officiant at his wedding. I um, have known Jared for a long time. And he's a super, super wonderful man. We talk about life, children. His son Hudson was born with a scary, scary thing called CDH. So we talk about how they handled that when he was born. He's actually holding his eight-week-old daughter Sadie while he records this. Um, while he recorded this. And... Um, Yeah, we do the questionnaire from uh, James Lipton from Inside the Actors Studio, which is pretty cool. So much love to all of you. Uh, Talk to you soon. I hope you're well. Hang in there. There he is.
1: What's up, man?
0: Carrying on with the quarantine episodes. I am joined by none other than J-Bro... Jared Powers Brown, Jared Powers himself from Austin, Texas. Hello, my friend.
1: How are you, man? i excited I'm to be doing this, getting my dose of uh, socialization today.
0: <laughs> I had a lot of it today with the uh, phone calls for work. It was a lot. It was a lot. So I, uh, we just put the babies down like 20 minutes ago after they stayed up and watched the movie. And I got a big jug of water and was excited to call you.
1: I love it. I love it. So how's your corn getting going? It sounds like you got Popo uh, in the background there. What are they? Oh, yeah. I
0: mean, I'm in the backyard because, you know, at this point we're live from the patio. Um, Who knows uh, what's going on? You'll also hear the popping sound of my bug zapper in the background.
1: That's my favorite. I love that.
0: And uh, (laughs) so, yeah, we're just we're here for we're here for all the nature sounds. I love it. All of it. How are the babies doing?
1: Yeah, I got an eight-week-old that I just put in my arms, and I'm gonna start giving a bottle. Uh, yes, and she's doing real good. Life. This is the real deal, man. This is like she's on uh, a
0: podcast at eight weeks old.
1: This is parenting uh, in in 2020.
0: Um, the other mama and the and the oldest are asleep, or in bed.
1: Yeah, everybody's knocked out. We did just finish um, watching our nights uh our night worth of uh tiger king Um, oh boy so that's been really good
0: that is the thing that everybody's watching right now i watched it in one night
1: the whole thing
0: i did the kids weren't in town the kids were in fort worth for a week while we figured out the school thing and uh the work thing from home and uh and it was a Friday night and Danielle was doing something with her, like doing a group FaceTime call or something with her sisters. And so I was like, uh, let me find something to watch. And I started watching it and I was like, I know this dude. Like, I know this character, this guy, Joe Exotic. And I remembered that he had run for president and he was on John Oliver's show. Like John Oliver talked about him in
1: 2016. Whoa. I, I sort of feel like I'm remembering this now. Yes
0: and like at one point he was doing like uh like uh, third party candidates and he was just talking about a few of them and i was hooked from i was like what like what is happening and then i probably went to bed at three
1: o'clock in the morning that night i could not stop watching it
0: but i didn't have anything to do the next day the kids were out of town i was like fuck it i'm doing it
1: yeah it's pretty good i'm pretty excited i love documentaries about cults that's like my favorite thing oh sure um And so, uh, Wild Wild Country was so good. I mean, that thing was just amazing. And then we recently watched the one on Bikram Yoga, which was similar. I was was just about to ask you if you've seen that one. It it wasn't crazy. It it was it was good, but it wasn't as like gripping as Wild Wild Country. Um, And so, Tiger King definitely starts off with this sort of like, oh, we're just gonna this is gonna be Florida man. Uh, in a documentary. This is interesting. And then very quickly it turns into a cult, like a real deal. I was like, oh, I stumbled into something I'm really interested in now.
0: Yes. I was taken by the lack of teeth. Like, just taken with it. Teeth taken. Wow. His first ex-husband or first husband or whatever he is has three teeth on top and he looks like he should be about 35. And he's got the mouth of a you know, like nasty meth head. That was crazy talk. Yeah, yeah. I loved every
1: second of it. So good. I mean, we could just talk about TV the entire time we're on here, but I'm sure that wouldn't be as entertaining. I don't think it matters. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So Wait, I got a thing. I got a thing for you. You ready? Yes. I'm going to interview the interviewer. So you and I have known each other for... I don't know, uh, 12, 10, 11 years now, you married me to my bride. I did. Um, so that's, that's, like, uh, that's a pretty deep relationship. And so I'm going to open this up to um, you asking me the questions you've never asked me before on, on the podcast.
0: Oh, so I actually have a list of questions that I was going to ask you at the end of this.
1: Let's, let's, just, let's break into it.
0: All right. Let's so, see what happens. do you know who James, do you know who James Lipton is or was?
1: Yeah, of course, the inside the Actor Studio.
0: Yes. So yeah. that was one of my favorite shows
1: of all time. I have a hot take on that show, by the way. Uh, I'll take it right now. Go. The best episode of that show was the Kevin Spacey episode.
0: It, it, oh, the well, yeah, the 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 improv his um impression yes
1: exactly exactly and i actually think that episode was the spotlight for for a while like they would do commercials for it and yeah it was the kevin spacey bit which you know it's unfortunate um you know the the character that is kevin spacey has sort of ruined it but uh yes. much like every once in a while i'll put on an r kelly jam or oh, uh, no. you know i uh <laughs> I went out of my way to get a picture disc thriller vinyl by Michael Jackson. You know, there are times and, you know, occasionally my son will ask for chicken and I'll take him to Chick-fil-A. So there's, um, you know. I get I,
0: it. I have actually eradicated those three things from my life in a certain way. So I don't listen to Michael Jackson anymore because I watched Finding Neverland and I just, uh, I can't, I can't give him money. And he's still making a lot of money. His family's making a lot of money. I uh, I was a pretty big R. Kelly fan because I'm a huge R&B fan. Yep. And I don't know the last time I listened to an R. Kelly thing besides Trapped in the Closet, which to me remains immortal. Have you ever seen Trapped in the Closet? Of course. Of
1: course. All oh, 11 parts sake. or whatever it was.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's like 30, but yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so my favorite Inside the actor Studio of all time is Dave Chappelle. That one's good, too. Well, I was about to say, Dave ah, Chappelle did yeah. R. Kelly better than R. Kelly did R. Kelly.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true. But did you ever see the 200th episode where Dave Chappelle interviews Lipton?
1: Um, God, that sounds familiar, but I didn't think it was Dave Chappelle interviewing Lipton.
0: No. So Dave Chappelle did the whole interview. Wow. Okay. With the With the stack of blue questions and everything. I love it. And Lipton was so inter- interesting. He was a dancer. He was a ballet dancer in Paris for a while. And he had these 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 uh, prostitutes that he would look after. And he was called, a, in, Paris, in France, they called it a mech. And David Chappelle was like, wait, you were a pimp? And he was like, no, I was a mech. And he was like, did you take these women to their appointments and wait outside to make sure they were safe and got paid? Yes. He was like, you were a pimp. And he was. It was super, super. Funny. I do
1: not see. Yeah, James Lipton as a ballet dancer is actually a surprise to me too. So I must not have seen that episode. Uh, and also, his wife is
0: the Asian woman from the
1: cover of Clue. Oh, interesting! Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, like the original yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's his. Wife. Well, I've got a. I've got an interesting. Speaking of things you don't know about me, I don't think you know this fun fact, but it sort of reminded me of uh, James Lipton being a ballet dancer. Did you know that I was a serious figure skater as a kid? No. So here's the here's the real story. So I played ice hockey when I was a kid and we're talking like what? Oh, probably 7 I started playing. And I guess when you're that young and you're going to play like a full contact sport with blades on your feet, they forced you to take figure skating. And so I took figure skating for 2 years. And then at that point, you got to earn, you earned your hockey skates and your equipment, um, which essentially my mom just had to, you know, pony up an ungodly amount of cash for all that nonsense. Oh, God. Um, But yeah, I was, um, I was pretty serious. I could do uh, backwards crossovers. I could do, uh, you know, I could do it like a toe pivot. I could never Lutz. Um, But but, uh, back then, my crush was uh, Tara Lipinski, Lipinski Driver. Oh yeah, completely. And I was um, completely understanding I, that era was sort of like the era to be into figure skating. I mean, I was following Michelle, Michelle Kwan, Kwan. All of these, um, absolutely. Oksana Bayul was another. Oh uh, yeah, crush. absolutely. Yeah, I mean that was a thing.
0: Wow, So there you go. I did not know that. I will. I will counter you with. I wanted to take gym gymnast. I wanted to take fencing. I was obsessed with it. And my mom and my grandmother took me down to this Italian spot. They they offered, it was like a gymnasium and they offered uh, fencing, but I was 11 and you had to be 12 and they said, but you could take gymnastics. And I was like, uh, no, that's okay. And now looking back, I was like, damn, I should have taken gymnastics. Dude. I don't know. I played every sport under the sun, but I didn't. With, I, never, I should have done With gymnastics. the amount
1: of bedroom sports you tend to favor, you would have uh, really picked up some skill doing gymnastics.
0: That's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I would have picked it up so much
1: quicker.
0: 100%. All right, so here we go. I'm going to give you the James. Okay, Lincoln. I'm in questionnaire, which is based on the Bernard Pivot questionnaire. I'm in. Let's do it. So, what is your favorite word?
1: Oh, um, my favorite word... Hmm. Um, I probably would say that my favorite word is pet pat, uh, which Love. is a Thai word, uh, and it just means very spicy. And the reason it's my favorite <laughs> word is because when I go to Thai restaurants, and there's actually Thai people working there, um, yes. I order in Thai, and I, I use that one to indicate that like, no, no jokes, I want it spicy, not like white people spicy, like actual <laughs> real spicy, please. I have done this in Indian restaurants and been like,
0: hey, I want this really spicy. And they're like, oh, okay. I'm like, no, no, listen, not what you think i like spicy by looking at me i want your spicy and i've had places are just like okay and then you come back and you're like come on man this is my totally like what are we doing here so all right what is your least favorite word
1: um least favorite word um probably offended <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, there isn't
1: a scenario where somebody uses that word in a sentence with me in a conversation where I'm not immediately like, "Oh, this person's just a pain in my ass the now." Worst. Yeah, offended, <laughs> offended. Uh, I like it.
0: What turns you on, uh, creatively, spiritually,
1: or emotionally? Oh, that's an interesting one. What, um, what turns me on, creatively, spiritually, emotionally? I, I, you know, I mean. Ugh. I hate to be sort of uh, a one-note guy, yeah, but food, just go for it. Uh, food, definitely. Yeah, no, it's totally understandable. Um, I, I will tell you, just I've been watching these YouTube videos. So I'm in this weird area, uh, and when when the girls were small, you know, I don't think the YouTube phenomenon was quite what it is now. I mean, I probably clock more yeah. hours on YouTube than anything else. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. with the baby as young as she is, and also just trying to wrangle a three year old I find myself not wanting like the genre of t v and media absorption i 'm looking for is i don 't have to think about it, and I can avert my attention to my kids for five ten minutes and and pick right back up and so That's the um my my current obsession are these village cooking videos. And so I follow like six of these. So oh. there's one that's called um, uh, that's, that's called Around Me BD. so it's around me Bangladesh and it's uh, probably like 2,000 people in a village. and you just watch the, the village people cook for the entire village. Uh, and so that's been really in, ex- inspiring that sounds And rad. it also again, you just sort of pick up and, and you know leave it and yeah. come back and whatever. Um, but i 've been taking a lot of hints from that yeah. in my quarantine cooking um,
0: yeah i I would say I watch eighty percent of my
1: television stuff on youtube it 's crazy right i mean it 's just like yeah you know it's it 's the new yeah. media consumption. This quibby thing is interesting because I think I'm really somebody excited about you know figured out like, oh, our attention spans are that of canaries at this point let 's do short films for everything. And in theory, I think it works out. I'm just interested in in what it's going to, you know, kind of pan out like in practice.
0: Totally agree. That's Jeffrey Katzenberg, yeah. right? The yep. director, or the producer, I guess.
1: Um, all right. Uh, what turns you off? Um, uh, man, this one does come up uh, frequently in my in my life. You know, both working and non-working. But people who patronize. Uh, or tr- attempt to patronize me um, that really turns me off that, I am a very loving and caring and all embracing get along with anybody individual but man if you d- go down the path of patronization with me it really does it, it's, it's, it's a sting that is hard to, uh, to cure
0: alright what is your favorite curse word I mean, with your a week old baby and yeah, your yeah.
1: Well, she she doesn't know. Uh, she she ain't <laughs> no shit about it. Um, not, yet, not yet, You know, I think I think fuck is a really important curse word. Um, I think George Carlin definitely um, kind of illuminated the sentiment of fuck being very versatile and useful. I mean, it's. I know it's exactly it's the a video verb. You're about. It's an adjective. It's a degree, and I actually think that's why I like it the most. Is it establishes a degree of something, and other curse words don't. Yes. Like you know, shit is a thing, ass is a thing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. going through all of the curse words, there's a lot of nouns in there, um, but fuck does tend to be sort of like the the Swiss Army knives of uh, of Articulating yourself a certain way.
0: What sound or noise do you
1: love? Huh. Running bathwater? Is that weird? That one took no, like two I love seconds. It. I it. But that, totally. that's, that's it, I think. Bathwater.
0: No, that's what I like. What sound or noise do you hate?
1: What sound or noise do I hate? I mean, right now, the first thing that comes to mind is children's music. <laughs> I completely uh, understand. You know, I think Caitlin and I have different philosophies on what we expose Hudson to. And she's, like, all about, like, the Rafi and, and all of the, like, kids music and stuff. And it just drives me up. Like, I, I just I instantly <laughs> I go insane. So I've been oh,
0: showing yes, Hudson
1: so. dance music and pop music. I'm You know, I'm nice. trying to stray away from, like, you know, what I would like to do is just, like, blast gangster rap all day. Um, but... Um, he is repeating every word that he hears. So, um. I
0: remember when I started playing rap for Mikayla. It was after the musical Hamilton came out, and she was like, "I love rap. I love Hamilton." And I was like, "Oh, hold on. I really love Hamilton, but we're gonna have to start introducing you to rap." And she was like, "Do you listen to rap, Dad?" And I was like, "Oh, uh, okay. Now we're gonna have to get serious." And so now she's a
1: big, uh, big, big hip hop head. So it's, I totally I mean- understand. But I think she was like nine. I'm looking, and I was I'm like, looking <sighs> at my record player right now. And Nelly Country Grammar uh, in 180 grams of pure deliciousness is sitting uh, on my record player right now. Love it.
0: All right. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
1: Um, probably being a doctor, and probably being a like an intense like you know, ER or NICU or ICU doctor. I've grown fond of them for, for reasons that I'm sure you can assume, but I think the, the cadence of work and the sort of, you know, I love, you know, to me cooking is a long play and making cocktails is a short play. It's like the short story of, of cooking. Right. And I feel like, Mm Being a doctor is sort of like making cocktails, like very quick decisions, instant gratification, you know, risk and and reward, and other people benefit from what you're doing. It's, you know, it seems very stressful, but I guess I am a stress junkie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No
1: thanks on the doctor thing. My handshake. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not great with needles or blood either. So I'm probably, um, you know, just, it makes so nothing, it tattoos. makes no sense for me to be thinking this, but... No, no. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, man, anything manual labor. I'll just be honest, like, as much, um, know, as much avoiding manual labor I can do, the better. Actually, I took a stupid BuzzFeed quiz the other day that was like, what was, what's your ideal work environment? And it asked a bunch of stuff, and it was like, ideally, like, you know what kind of work appeals to you and it was like work where there's an intense deadline or like manual work and and one of them's like hanging out with friends (laughs) it was like i was like that one and then i answered 12 or 15 more questions the same way and eventually it told me that i should get into theater and i was like fuck you okay (laughs) yes you need to be uh, an improv an improv actor
0: all right, uh, a hard one for you and I. Uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Um, so, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, what's a funny quote that would, that would be, that would, you know, make me laugh, I guess. Um, God, God greets me at the pearly gates. Um, What would
0: you want him to say or her
1: to say or it to say? Probably like something just something to sort of like break down those barriers. Probably like what up son or what up homie. Something, you know, some casual mm-hmm. sort of greeting that would make me go okay, I guess this is not going to be all pomp and circumstance. <laughs> you mean you don't want to have to be
0: praising God? Yeah, for you know, something
1: that makes me feel um, like maybe there aren't going to be as many um, stupid rules as I would imagine.
0: Um, I'll tell you the my favorite one that I ever heard on Inside the Actor's Studio was
1: uh, I'm Sorry About My followers. Oh, yeah, that's good. I like that. That one's really good. Yeah, I was going to say something <laughs> like, yeah, um, it, it's not going to be, you know, <laughs> promise you the fundamentalist Christians went somewhere else. <laughs> They're like, all right, cool. All right, so
0: those are the questions. Yeah, those were. They started with Marcel Proust. And then Bernard Pivo adapted them and then lived adapted them too. Um, I like those questions cause I feel like you, you sort of learn a lot about a, about a person. Um,
1: do you have any tattoos that you regret? No, I like my tattoos. I've been, mean, you know, I think I got them pretty late. Yeah. So I was able to sort of, you know, mm-hmm. be an adult when I got my tattoos, which. Yeah, I definitely do
0: the opposite by the way. Um, I sort of have a, right now a small collection of tattoos that
1: I'm like. So, meh. I I remember sitting uh. in my um I was in L.A. living on behind my aunt's couch in 2007, and I wrote down. When you wait, hold on. Yeah, behind so she had a one bedroom couch. apartment. She had two cats that were both obese. Uh, one of them was 30 pounds. The other one was 26 pounds. And I uh, uh, she moved up her Damn. little love seat from against the wall uh so that i could fit like a little i don't remember if it was a blow-up mattress or maybe a futon um mattress or something anyway so i slept behind her couch uh and that was
0: this is when you yeah this was the first time i worked for
1: mtv and that was in la and then the um the next time I worked for MTV, I was in New York and that's when I fell in love with New York city. But yeah, so I lived behind her couch right. and I remember she had a courtyard and because this apartment was so small and because LA is gorgeous, I spent a lot of time writing outside in her courtyard and I came up with this tattoo idea. Yeah. Um, and I, so I must've been 18 or 19 years old. And I promised myself that if I liked this tattoo idea for 10 years I would do it, and so that—that yeah. that is uh, what's on my arm. Yeah, my sleeve is an idea that you know I had for ten years, and then at the ten-year point, I was like, "Screw it, man! Uh, it seems like I'm going to like this in perpetuity. Let's just do it." And you want to tell? So I've got people four stories on my arm, and actually, one of them changed. Uh, so I did—I did, I did uh, change part of the tattoo concept is it's four stories, four legends, if you will, or folk tales. Um, But they all hold some significance for me. Um, So I've got a Hephaestus, who's the Greek god of the forge. He's the one who makes all the cool shit that the other gods use. Uh, In Roman mythology, he's Vulcan. So either Vulcan or Hephaestus. I've got a Tibetan uh, Moncala on the other end of my arm. Uh, I've got a Baba Yaga. On my forearm, and then on the sort of tender side of my forearm, I have Loki um, being tortured by the serpent.
0: It's so cool. It's such a good
1: touch. And you yeah, did so I was quickly. paying my artist's rent, I feel like, for a while, or at least contributing heavily to his daughter's uh, college <laughs> fund. Yeah, I did every two weeks, which is the kind of the, the first stage of healing for a tattoo. But we jumped around these four panels um, And so every two weeks at the same time, I go in there and we do like four or five hours of work. Yeah, oh was good. It was good. It was good. Uh. Shout out to Miles Carr, one of the well. most talented, amazing tattoo artists on the planet. And he has um, made a career of doing the stuff that nobody else wants to do. So he is uh, fearless when it comes to tattoos. He calls my arm the kitchen sink. He's like, That's you got awesome. everything in there, man. <laughs> Is there? Are there any other tattoos? So I've got planned? like a, a Tibetan uh, yogi anatomy drawing on the back of my calf, which you may or may not have seen. Cause, yeah, so mm-hmm. I've got that one. I, seen, yeah, yeah. I did a random tattoo when I left New York from Miles. Um, he's got sort of a roll some Dungeons and Dragons dice and get a random tattoo thing. Um, the Tibetan Yogi. That's yeah, the, the most dangerous, dangerous game. Right? That's it. It? I was number 199.
0: Yes, I highly recommend looking it up. Yeah, on he's Instagram. cool. It's he's he's doing
1: crazy stuff. So that's like a, it's a Japanese demon that is um, sort of anamorphing into a hammerhead shark eating a snake. Um, which is it looks about as absurd as it sounds, but I, I love it. It's um, it's meaningful no, and meaningless at the same time. It is a tattoo that marks a an era. Um, my time in New York City was ending, um, but the tattoo itself is is not uh, significant. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So do you think if you guys didn't have Hudson, if you did not have children, oh, for sure. do you think we'd still be in New York
1: City? Without a doubt, we'd still be there. I mean, yeah. our lives changed yeah. so dramatically when HUD was born that um you know, I, I just think we would have been completely different people and we would have been um less than we would than we are today. So Things out things work out for a reason, man. Yeah. So, can we yeah, talk yeah, about Huddy? Sure.
0: Do you mind if we talk about a little Huddy?
1: So, how do we yeah, form a CDH? Diaphragmatic is that? Right? hernia. Yeah, it's a pretty rare um condition. It's like uh, 1600 babies a year globally. Um Oh my god, globally. Yeah, so Globally?
0: And so break it down. So what does that mean? So, like
1: what does that mean? No, for, you have know, a the hernia right? of the diaphragm. So hernia is just a hole, right? And if you're kind of an you know, an uh-huh. adult and you get a hernia, you know, you can experience symptoms like a little pain or or whatever. Uh, and they can go in there laparoscopically and sew up the hole and it's not a big deal. Um, but if you during the the fetal development stage in, in utero, if you um Kind of don't form your diaphragm properly and there's a hole there um, it affects all of the other sort of internal organs uh, in your body so it's, it's really scary stuff uh, essentially all of his gut organs you know the diaphragm i never really thought of it this way but the diaphragm keeps the gut organs separate from the chest organs so the diaphragm is what keeps your heart and your lungs up top in your stomach and your spleen and your kidneys and your small and large intestine down in the bottom uh and so uh with a hole there you know things were able to migrate around and so Hudson was born with his stomach and his intestines up where his left lung should have been he had one so was it was he born with a left lung it was so overly cramped it was a bit of a like a a fish in a fish tank mm-hmm. type situation. Like it had no room to develop and grow. Um, so they said, I think when he was born, it was the size of a raisin. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. We found out, found out while 19 weeks pregnant, Caitlin was yeah. pregnant,
0: right? Jeez. And at that point, I'm sure there's the odds of him. Yeah, surviving I mean, not it's great. A, right?
1: It's a scary condition. I think the first um the first person to survive uh with cdh past you know newborn stage was 1985 so we're talking about pretty recent oh my God. Um, and then you know i think that the the scariest statistic for us was that out of the 16 babies born with cdh about half of them will um survive past a year old um yeah and now he's three. And now he's three. And he's kicking ass.
0: And he's all right. My man. I love that kid so much. Yeah, I remember that so clearly because I was here and you were there and there was nothing I could do. You know, when your friends are yeah. going through something like that, you just want to be there with them. And it was so, I just.
1: Gosh, and he was, he in, was in the NICU ICU for, for months, a couple right? of months. Well, and there's a NICU there's sort sorry. of a you know for folks who don't go through this. I mean, I wouldn't have known this, but NICU is where you if you are born with something that is uh, life threatening, you immediately go to the NICU, which is the neonatal ICU. Um, but if you ever leave the hospital once, you you can never get to the NICU. Um, you go to a PICU. Um, And so the PICU is where you've gone if you've actually made Mm. it home, and the NICU is where you go if you never made it home um, from from birth. Uh, So he was in the NICU for a couple months, and then we took him home, and then about a month later, um, he had a a, a pretty significant uh, setback that had us back in PICU for another month. Yeah. Good growing time. time. I think people who know me from before HUD and then maybe fell out of touch with. And then if I've reconnected with a few folks who have just said that, you know, I'm a completely different person, you know, I'm still me, but um, I, I just think that, that, uh, that having Hudson has, has been the biggest impact on my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It it made me think about how lucky I was that my children were just, perfectly healthy when they were born. You know, like Huddy's good now. But man, like I you know, yeah. Valentina had ear infections, but that's it. And so uh so lucky to to not have had to endure that. And then how lucky you were to have worked for a company that really like I imagine if you did not work did I not mean, have good insurance. You know you it's funny there are part. you
1: know the medical industry is really you know we owe everything to the doctors and nurses that work in the medical industry, but I have some harsh opinions mm-hmm. about the medical industry as at large um and I didn't really realize how crazy it was this insurance medical nonsense that that happens until Hudson was born because you know we were lucky we our out of pocket was eight grand I think we paid eight grand in twenty sixteen because you know we um, had all of the testing and pre-birth stuff. We, you know, went to hospitals all over the United States. We thought about relocating to Philadelphia just to to have him there. It was expensive, and then he was born in 2017, in the very beginning of 2017. So we paid eight grand again. So he was about 16 grand, um, but that was nothing compared to the bills we were receiving. I think I stopped counting at like two million dollars. <laughs> Uh, and ah. it's funny, he had, Unbelievable. Uh, you know, you get IV fluid, right? And IV fluid is basically water. Um, but if you're a baby yeah. and you need nutrition, they do uh, TPN, which is kind of like IV fluid that's got fat and lipids and probably some glucose or whatever. Anyway, it's like Gatorade, right. basically. Uh, and he was going through, he was blowing through <laughs> like four bags of TPN a day. And I started getting bills from... Columbia and New York uh, that, you know, the insurance paid for them, but each bag of TPN was $865. And I thought that was hilarious.
0: Yeah. I will never forget. It's not the same, obviously, but when, when Michaela was born, she was born in Methodist hospital downtown in San Antonio. She was uh, Danielle was in a private room but they only had private rooms and they charged my insurance $500 for a private room. I was like, but you didn't wait. There wasn't an option to have a room with somebody else in it. Like you didn't, you don't offer those at your hospital. And the lady was like, right. And I was like, so you bill for something that you, I don't understand. Like why would you charge $500 for like it's like well, charging. It's like going on for an airplane, air. like, and
1: they say, "Yeah, um, we're charging you for a first class ticket," and you're like, "But I didn't pick first class," and they're like, "No, no, no, the entire airplane is first class. You have no choice." That's what it is. Yeah, it's <laughs> exactly. A, it's a it's a weird yeah, it's a weird thing, you know. Uh, without getting overly political, I think the medical situation is is the thing that needs no, to be overhauled yeah. the most and you know i do think looking at it through the lens of um yeah. getting the medical help you need is a human right i think is the is the right approach
0: i totally agree with you i totally agree with you having grown up in a in a on a military base you you just tried care took care of everything you just you didn't pay for anything you didn't pay a monthly stipend, you didn't pay, uh, or a monthly uh, deductible, or whatever you know what I'm talking about. Monthly uh, uh, bill, you didn't pay uh, co-pays, you didn't pay for anything. It was all taken care of. Just complete socialized medicine. So if you were yeah. sick, you went to the hospital. You went to the doctor. That's it. If you needed surgery, you got the surgery. You didn't have to worry about anything. And we do that for our military families, which they deserve. But if we can, and that's run by the you know, on another level, but, yeah, that's for another time. Um, yeah. Well, all right, man. This is my uh, 37 minutes or something like that. I feel good about that.
1: That flew, that flew fast. I'm ready for another hour, man. You got any, more, any questions for me that you would like to ask? Um, No, because I didn't come prepared with my homework <laughs> assignment completed. There's no homework assignment. Um, like five minutes
0: before I called you, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna do the the questionnaire." <laughs> that was my homework.
1: That's well, okay. So yeah, wait, I can I can whip up a questionnaire. What house of Hogwarts are you in? I have no idea. See, ant, wrong answer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> rebels or Empire? Uh, rebels. Okay. Um, what's your favorite Italian dish? Pizza, you're supposed to say fete biscottate. <laughs>
0: it's not fete biscottate.
1: <coughs> That's an inside joke. I think you're supposed to explain uh, what those are, so that the audience has, uh, you know, a reference point. All
0: right, I will give this story. I will, I will submit myself to this painful experience in my life, embarrassing experience in my life. I'll set the scene. We are at um uh, uh Mario Batali or formerly Mario Batali's uh flagship restaurant in New York City, uh Del Posto. And uh we are there because we are uh in New York for your wedding and you've taken the your groomsman and me, your uh priest, uh your pastor John, um, uh to have lunch. Um as sort of a gift, I
1: suppose, right? Yeah, I guess instead of giving you like a stupid flask or something that said like, those, but you yeah. know, like it, enjoy life to the fullest or whatever, yeah. yeah. Or just my initials. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so, we go and it's this beautiful restaurant and I'm so excited about it. And uh, I'm excited because, you know, maybe I could show off a little bit and flex my Italian guns. And, uh, we had like an incredible meal, and all of the servers and major d's are all italian and or the major d's are all Italian, right
1: i mean everybody i we spoke to had a thick accent that I was right yeah for sure it was it was
0: uh i hate the word authentic,
1: but it was like well they weren't like italian, italian american they were like drafted from Italy. <laughs> off the boat yeah, yeah yeah for sure yeah
0: and uh there was this thing on the menu called fette biscottate, and I asked the guy. I had already spoken to the guy in Italian, and uh, which I'm sure he despised. And uh, <laughs> and I said, "What's fette biscottate?" And he looked at me, like with such disdain and disgust, and said, "You don't know what fette biscottate is?" And I said, "No, I don't." And he said, "I thought you were raised in Italy." Yeah, I was. And he goes, then you know what fete biscotate is, and I really okay. had no idea in that moment what the hell he was talking about. But I realized okay. how embarrassing a moment it was.
1: I mean, it was so. For everybody out there that's wondering what fete biscotate is, it's like, uh, it's like a cracker. Basically, it's like It's the, dried, like heavily toasted bread. It's yeah. It's like it comes in a package. It's like a Ritz cracker. It's it's, it's yes. like but it's bread but it's bread but essentially (coughs) excuse me this guy made it out to be like you know it's a household staple everybody knows what it is yes and basically just called john a big a big fraud Uh,
0: big right to his face and then when i saw it i knew exactly what it was but that's the part of the story i
1: don't believe <laughs> I knew exactly
0: what it was because, like, we would—I would go to friends' houses, and I went to Azila, which is like pre pre-K in Italy. Like, I know what fette biscottate is, but we just didn't eat it in my house, and because we're Americans, and so we just didn't eat that. And so I knew exactly what it was, but that moment will live on in infamy. I still have a package of fette biscottate that you gave me for my birthday a couple of years ago. Uh, in my pantry um, because that will never ever get old, and I understand it's hilarious, and I completely understand.
1: I mean, it's a cracker, so yeah, it's not gonna get old, it's got no expiration date. No. <laughs> I'm never gonna eat it, it's the perfect, I'm just gonna sit there. It's the perfect quarantine <laughs> food,
0: I am never gonna eat it. It basically like you would you would put Nutella
1: on it or you put jams on it stuff like that like it was like butter it was like um, pretend like being in another country and you go to an American food restaurant and everybody's just like hey there pal welcome to America restaurant and you sit yeah. down and you start throwing like Americana at them left and right and you're like oh yeah mm-hmm. I grew up in the states blah 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 blah. And then, and then you're like, "Oh, real quick, though, can I ask you a question? What is this hamburger thing on the menu? Yep. <laughs> like, what is that?
0: We're like, "What are biscuits?
1: Yeah, what are biscuits? <laughs> Fried chicken? God damn it.
0: I'll never <laughs> leave that. I'll never live it down, and I welcome it, and it's fine, because it's a humbling moment in my life, like as humbled as I felt in my adult life for sure.
1: You know, like for sure. Anytime you say something um, that is an Italian word but is not appropriate to say it in an Italian uh, accent. Um, so It's always appropriate to well, say it in an Italian accent, by the that's way. that's your stance, but not mine. Like you're just talking <laughs> regular and then the word mozzarella comes up and you can't res- Yeah, you can't resist saying it like that I and can. sounding like a total dick. And What I hear <laughs> what I hear is Fete Biscotate. So whatever it is that you're saying, I don't even know what it is because I just hear Fete Biscotate. I,
0: I will tell you, when I first moved to the States, there were so many people, they were just like, yo, why are you saying mozzarella like that? And I was like, because that's the word. Like, And then I think one time somebody was like, yeah, but you don't say tortilla. And I was like, yeah, I guess I don't. That's right. That's right. But uh, it's still mozzarella. You are also. Then I met Italian Americans who
1: said mozzarella, and I was just like, "What the shit are you talking?" Like that's like the Goodfellas version of saying it, right? Like that's like. Dude, that. I met. I knew people in college who'd be like, "Oh,
0: my family's from I'm I'm from Flushing." Like oh, okay, like uh, yeah, we uh, used to make our own mozzarella, like. What did you say?
1: Yeah, that that is a that is hundred percent a New York, New Jersey Italian American uh, way of saying it.
0: Yeah, they'd be like, "Did you guys eat big
1: ziti?" I'm like, no, I've never had big ziti in my life. Yeah, big ziti Ever. is like the um, the sort of fifties era nuclear family casserole equivalent of Italian yeah. food. It is quite good. There's though.
0: an Italian dish called uh, ziti sorrentina, which is like a pink sauce sort of. That's probably where this came from. But I, I've, never,
1: I've never had that. I, I do find it know. interesting that you're getting back to the original question here, which was what's your favorite food, <laughs> Italian food, that pizza is, a, is your favorite. Oh, I'm very, it's, I'm shocked. Italian pizza
0: is so, because you don't, like, people don't understand. Like, most Italians where I grew up, we eat pizza once a week, at least once a week. So you would go to a restaurant to get pizza. Like, so I would, when I was growing up, if I went to a restaurant, which we did often, I would never order pasta. Never. I would always order pizza. Even now, if I went home, like, I'm not going to order pasta. I'm going to order pizza every time. Every time. Because it has buffalo, you know, mozzarella. Like, you know, it has... It's just, Italian pizza is just so extraordinary that, and it's so, like, in the States, it's so expensive for places that do it right, and it bothers the hell out of me, so I know that there's at least three places in San Antonio where I could have pretty proper Italian pizza, but they charge like 25, 30 dollars. For a pizza that in Italy you'd pay eight, Mm. nine euro for, so like $12, maybe $11. Isn't it
1: fair that they're probably importing all of their stuff from Italy? And that's like. No, but they're not. That's the thing. They're not. You
0: can't import mozzarella, especially a place downtown called Doe. They have two spots. They
1: make their own mozzarella. Okay. But mozzarella is very easy to make. But, so. Cost of labor, cost of, you know, like. If they're making their nah. own cheese, like you're paying a premium for nah, that.
0: Dude, no, they're all making their own cheese in Italy too, bro. That's the thing. Like they I've been to places where they're like, "Oh, we uh we cure our own meats." Like, so what? You don't you shouldn't charge $30 for this. It's absurd. And so it bothers me. And so, it, you know, pizza, yeah, for sure, dude. I would never like go out and get like, you know what? That's not true. Every once in a while I would have spaghetti alle vongole, so like clams and Um, and spaghetti with the like olive oil and garlic and parsley and stuff. So, every once in a while, I'd have that or I'd have mussels. Other than that, though, I'm eating pizza
1: diavola, which is like spicy salami every time. Mm, That sounds good. Like, I think my favorite Italian dish is probably an Italian American, like New Jersey, New York thing. I am a sucker for and love making and eating Sunday gravy.
0: Oh, that but that's a thing. Like we don't call it gravy, but like the sugo, the sauce, like that's a real thing. Like everybody thinks bolognese or uh bolognese or what some people call it in the states like like that's a real thing. Like grandmas will really cook their sauce for you know 6 hours on a Sunday. Um it's probably, you know, there's variations throughout the country of Italy of how they make it, but yeah. Like, we don't call it gravy, but it's the same. Like, for sure we do that. I love it. And they're dipping with the bread while grandma's grandma's, uh, you know, making the sauce. The other thing that my grandmother made that sort of, it's sort of standard throughout Europe and in Mexico, too. We made milanese. In, in Mexico, they call it milanesa, which is like pounded thin chicken cutlets and which I think is where like chicken Parmesan, chicken parm. Came oh, yeah, from, for sure. And so, but we would never put tomato sauce. So super pounded breaded fried chicken cutlet with prosciutto on it. Like not, not the prosciutto, the prosciutto just ham is just a ham just means ham, but the, but cooked, uh, not cured prosciutto so it's like smoked prosciutto with mozzarella on top and then she would broil it like Mm. that and like that was like i still think about that everything my nonna made like that was the thing that i still dream about but i can't find that kind of ham here so
1: it's sort of lost probably close to like a canadian bacon kind of thing
0: no, it's I mean it's like a full-on ham, bro. Like, but they they cook it a different way. Like, it's it's done a different way. And sometime when we someday when we go to Italy together, like I'll have you taste it and you understand. Like, it's a completely a different beast. Different, it really is, and I can't. I've never been able to find it in the United States. Mm. So, and obviously, I live in San Antonio, Texas. So there's not a lot of spots that are offering things like that. But I bet if I went in New York, I could find it.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: But um, that's that's my like. I miss that. You know what I mean? Like, um, but no, nah, I would never go out for pasta. Like, no. Nah. Unless we were in, like, in Maldonado and we went to Massimo Batura's restaurant. Um, that famous Italian chef who is, his restaurant's been, uh, I think it's called something Francescana is the restaurant. It's one of the best restaurants in the world. And then, then I would go and eat his pasta for sure.
1: I mean, homemade pasta is a marvel. Uh,
0: yeah. I made a. I was just thinking I need to do that more.
1: Yeah, for sure. Were oh, I made a gorgeous made? carnitas tonight, uh, and I've been doing crispy carnitas, which is like that's like the home style version mm-hmm. where you basically you know like I slow cooked or pressure cooked the hell out of a you know a giant pork shoulder. And then very barely, barely, like, I didn't want to pull it too much, but just enough to where it fell off, fell apart onto a pan, like a baking sheet, and then broiled it until everybody got crispy and happy. Oh, so good.
0: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I made a pork butt yesterday that was just
1: So good. Delicious. Such an easy quarantine food.
0: Oh, yeah. All right, buddy. Well, I'm going to uh, leave you, bid you adieu. Thank you for coming course, on my man. podcast. Uh, it was a long, long time coming. Um, so uh, yeah, give a kiss to Sadie, to Huddy, and to Caitlin for us. And uh will talk to you soon. Love you, bro. Good night, brother. Love you too, brother.